This is Headshots, the psychology and gaming podcast with your hosts, Josue Cardona, an engineer-turned-mental-health and ed-tech guru, and psychologist and game scholar, Dr. Kelly Dunlap. Hello, Headshots listener, and welcome back to the show. This week, Kelly and I are on vacation, so instead, this week, we're releasing three episodes from our sister show, Psych We recorded three episodes when Jane McGonigal's newest book, Super Better, came out. It is a book about applied psychology and gaming. If you listen to these three episodes, you will see how, how we're just huge fans of Jane McGonigal, and we could not wait for this book to come out. So here are the three episodes that we recorded going through the entire book. I've always wanted to have some of our gaming content from our sister show here in Headshots, which was born out of that show. And really, I just wanted to take all the gaming stuff out of PsychTech, and this is a way to do it. So no new episode of Headshots this week. Instead, here is part two of three of our Super Better Fan Club book club. Let us know what you think, and we'll be back soon with new episodes of Headshots. This is Jane McGonigal, the author of Super Better, and a big fan of the Psych Tech Podcast. You're listening to Psych Tech Podcast, where you will get the future of psychology and technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Psych Tech, the psychology and technology podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kelly Dunlap, and I am joined, as always, by Josue Cardona. What's up, Kelly? Uh, not much. Uh, last week, we were talking about, uh, almost the reality's broken, we were talking about Super Better, and we'd read the first four chapters, and so now we're going into part two of our Super Better review, recap, fangirl, whatever, whatever we want to call it. So... You don't have to have listened to the last podcast to be caught up to date on what we're talking about in this podcast, but you should go listen to it anyway, because it's there for you to listen to. And you did say at the beginning that we like incorrectly said that we talked about Reality is Broken. We talk about that one every other week. Yeah, you know, we just, we just <laughs> flip-flop between Super Better and, and Reality is Broken. But yeah, so uh, this week we're on chapters five, six, seven, five, six, seven, and eight, and it's uh, really getting into the meat of Super Better itself. So the actual game that Jane McGonigal created, and getting into the science specifically pertaining to the game and why it works. And just to kind of as a, as a shout out, uh, and I saw her posting on Twitter earlier that I think she's in the top ten on both like help, not, not self help slash improvement books as well as science which is a pretty cool crossover that is cool that is very cool i had a friend the other day ask me if he should read the book and so i obviously said yes but i said yes to this person specifically because of all the research that's in it it just seems like you know everything she says she backs it up with the research article and she does it in a way that doesn't seem very boring so so i'm I'm glad to see that glad to see that yeah, it's really accessible uh, from whether you don't know anything or even like Josue and myself, where this is kind of what this is kind of what we do. Uh, it's just really accessible across all those domains. So let's just let's just jump right in. Uh, chapter five is called "Challenge Yourself," and it has the gameful rule of 
The idea that there's thousands of ways to be happier, healthier, stronger, and braver, and to decide what real-life obstacle you want to tackle or what positive change you want to make first. So the idea that you need to identify something that you want to address is the first step, which which makes a lot of sense. And and for me, like this is so relevant right now because um, I think we've talked before about how I moved to to New York, and I've talked on the show about like this hackerspace thing that I'm doing. It's like a cool workshop, but there's also another job that I've been doing, and that one has been not so great, and it has been uh, not challenging at all. So the rewards have been not not good. So I actually recently like left that that position because I wasn't being challenged. And, you know, I think about this type of thing all the time. Like, why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling down? Why am I feeling like low energy? Why am I in a bad mood? Why am I like just, you know, I I see the symptoms of depression creeping up. And a big part of that is, you know, when I notice in my life, the lack of challenge. Yeah, there's something about, there's something about just not being fulfilled in in that kind of way. I know uh, when I had, there was a year between when I graduated from undergrad and when I started college, a little over a year, and I worked at a job which was was awful. I thought I was going to, do, going to be doing grant writing, but instead I was just doing uh, administrative work. And I mean, we're talking, you know, making copies, organizing binders, like inputting data into uh, spreadsheets, taking notes at meetings. Like it was, it was not a good experience. It, it was with a contractor for SAMHSA. So the substance abuse and mental health services agency, I think is what it stands for. And so I was like, Oh, well it's a resume builder and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go on from there. But of course I graduated into the recession. <laughs> so it, there wasn't a, a whole lot else out there to, uh, to help me out. And I remember having very distinct feelings of uh, depression and, you know, I looked at my calendar and I had to find one thing every single day just to get me through the day because it was, it was so just mind numbing. I watched the first five seasons of Lost in my first three months. Like I was just streaming it on the computer because I had nothing to do. And on top of all that, I was isolated. There, they had two floors. The first floor was full of people. The second floor had like three people in it. And I was down there and completely isolated. It was awful. Just absolutely so how awful. Long, how long were you there? A little over a year. Oh, yeah. See, I've I've been at this for two months, and when I resigned, my boss said, well, "Why? Why did you resign?" I was like, "Listen, there was there was a job description, and then there was reality, and two months is more than enough time to 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 just be in that state that you're talking about." Ooh, yeah. I mean, I've been there too for longer periods, and I don't know. Like, I'm just too old to to go through that. And and I guess just having read the book again, like, it's fresh in my mind what that can lead to. And of course, the book alludes more to the opposite, right? Like, right. so so not the lack of challenge, right? But the the benefits of having a challenge and and what that can do for you. And I, I think that's why I might be addicted to school, is because school is. If nothing, it is structured challenge. Like I know every single week I'm gonna going to be given a new task that I have to work on all week. And then, you know, when I get back in the next week, then there's gonna be another challenge waiting for me. And I really, really enjoy that kind of structure and that kind of uh, challenge. Like for example, one of the things I'm working on right now is we learned how to make kind of the portal mechanic. So how to 
run your player into one space and have it appear in a different space. And so, like, that's what I've been working on all day is is trying to create a game for tomorrow uh, to show to all my all my classmates about how I've used the mechanic to create a cool new game. And it's frustrating because I hate Unity sometimes, and it's I'm just barely learning C sharp, and it's it's very difficult. But you know that the feeling of accomplishment, and you know, again, it's it's pretty much everything she talks about. Although the so in this case, the, the challenge is trying to use a game engine that I don't understand with coding language based on math that I don't understand. Um, but it is, it's a, it's a voluntary challenge that I've put myself into. And, you know, even though it's stressful, I'd rather be stressed than bored. Yeah, yeah. And and she makes an excellent point about that, right? Like, uh, so that um, there is, you know, post-traumatic growth when you go through something that was not necessarily bad, but very challenging that affected you uh, in a very real way. And then um, hopefully you can come out the other end of it stronger, more resilient, and 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 just better than, than before, right? That can happen. But then like, it doesn't have to be something horrible. You can put something in front of yourself that can challenge you and you can have the same benefits. And that's what this chapter is about. So what you just said is a perfect example of, I mean, you chose to do this. You know, Nobody is forcing you to do it. <laughs> and even though sometimes it feels like your professors may be torturing you or you're torturing yourself for, for uh, or unity is torturing you. Torture right? for everybody. Yes. From everybody, for everybody. And, but the truth is that it's, it's all voluntary. You can stop at any point. Yes. And and that's very different than feeling helpless, hopeless, trapped. and overwhelmed. Yep, trapped, all that. So so this chapter is all about that, right? About making those situations for yourself where you can challenge yourself. And it doesn't have to be, you know, horrible. I mean, it made me think a lot about um, – and there's a lot of uh, parallels, right, to, to physical activity. But, like, when you're at the gym and you want to get – stronger like you're you're putting like it gets to a point if you've ever lifted weights where like the weights like they start feeling lighter it's easy and it's not as much fun so you add a little bit more but if you add too much then you're then you're just being stupid right you could hurt yourself or you could um, and or it's not fun anymore and but you just do it a little bit and then again that's that's just voluntary it's not somebody putting those weights on it's you doing it and and reaping the benefits yeah and she has a really great way of breaking down uh, i think she calls it the threat perception or the challenge perception, like a threat mindset or a challenge mindset, yep. so that it's kind of underlying, you know, two people can go through the same experience and one will develop maybe PTSD or negative symptoms or just not change at all. The other person might, you know, come through it better and have post-traumatic growth where they've really come out better than when before the, the trauma happened. And, you know, the idea that it's, it's how you approach it is the mindset you bring to it. So are you looking at it from kind of a pessimistic, this is really bad, I can't handle this, I can't do this kind of, um, like this is this is threatening to me. This That's what it is, a, th- a threat mindset, that this is a dangerous thing and it's threatening to me and I, I can't handle this. Or a challenge mindset of, you know, this is something that is difficult, but I can overcome it. And then she weaves it into self-efficacy, which is super important, uh, as anybody in the mental health field knows. But in case you're not in the mental health field, self-efficacy is not self-esteem. Self-esteem is how you feel about yourself. Self-efficacy is the belief that you can do the thing and is really, really important because when you're suffering with something like depression, one of the biggest voices in your head is you can't do it, or you're not good enough, or you're just going to fail. 
And that kind of thinking is really, really emblematic of a lot of disorders. Like I'm trying to think of a disorder right now where the internal dialogue is not super negative like that. And I'm having, I'm having a hard time. Uh, maybe like bedwetting or something. But, uh, you know, so that I thought that was really interesting the way that they, because there's a bunch of fancy words for it. But again, she just put it out there, plain, easy to understand. And uh, I really enjoyed that. That's the part of the book right now that's really, really tabbed up. <laughs> <laughs> one, one, one thing I've, I've, I've recently gone through, um, I, I talked about it recently too, but like I've lost a lot of weight this year. And um, I followed um, a lot of the crazy stuff that uh, Tim Ferriss has in a book called The 4-Hour Body. And one of the chapters is on, yeah, so using temperature to lose weight. And if you if you think about it, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense when you're when it's really hot outside, your body perspires to cool down. When it's very cold outside, your body burns fat to um, to keep warm. So you can use that idea of just getting colder, like being exposed to more cold and your body will burn more fat. So he has these different ways to do it and do it on purpose. So I'm somebody who, I mean, I like the cold, but I, I, I don't want to be freezing. So I'll put on a, you know, I've got my fleece blanket. I'm covered up. I want the heater on. I want to be comfortable. But once I started thinking about the cold as something that could help me lose weight, I started embracing the cold. And then it didn't bother me as much as it did before. So even though I was uncomfortable, I was completely welcoming that, that discomfort because I knew that it was going to be um, rewarding. And it's so weird how how I'm able to tolerate a lot uh, a lot of the cold now because I always think, man, I'm like my feet are really really cold right now. But I'm gonna leave them that way because um, it's not hurting me and it'll help me lose weight. All right, that tip not uh, not gonna apply to people in like the Arctic. If your feet are cold, you probably should put on socks, you know, frostbite frostbite and all that. Um, but yeah, some around similar vein there. I hate walking upstairs. I hate it. I'm. Uh, there's just something about stairs I really, really dislike. And, but ever since I got my Fitbit and I, I think about, Ooh, I wonder if I can hit this goal today when it comes to my stair count. And I am a hundred times more likely now to take the stairs than I would have before, especially when it comes to multiple stories. Like if it's one story, okay, I'll, you know, I'll acquiesce because I hate that one person that gets on at like floor two and then goes to floor three and gets out. And I have to kind of tell myself, well, maybe they have a bad knee or something and they needed to do that. But I know for, you know, my school, all of my classes are either on the second or third story. So I've been really good about climbing the stairs to get to class and then watching my Fitbit tell me how well I'm doing. And so, yeah, it's something that I would avoid like the plague uh, before. Now I'm seeing it, reframing it as a challenge. And it's something that I, I actually kind of, I'm not going to go so far as to say look forward to, but you know, it's, it's helping me make a more conscious decision about my behavior. Yep. Yep. And, and those two examples are pretty much a challenge mindset versus a threat mindset in a nutshell. Yep. Yep. Uh, and it's part of, I, I think she would probably describe it as a strategic goal. Cause there's a, a, a section in the challenge that I found really interesting and it was about the three different ways of setting goals. So one is to do something really difficult which if you already have a lot of self-efficacy is something that you probably do already. So if you already think that you're awesome, then you're going to go out and do and challenge yourself and, and say run a marathon. And it's not, it's going to be challenging because 
of the inherent goal, but you feel like you can do it. So that's great for those kind of people. But if you're not at that kind of mental state, the other two are do like do your best. Like, well, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna gonna give it the good old try. But that tends to not be very motivating because there's really no what's the word? Uh, like, there's no standard to meet. Uh, well, I tried to walk upstairs and I just didn't. And then the last one, which is, uh, she talks about being the most effective for people who are struggling with self-efficacy and feel like overwhelmed. If someone were to say, Kelly, I want you to run a marathon, I would be completely overwhelmed. You know, Kelly, run a 5K, still completely overwhelmed. Setting something really hard to do would be, in that instance, would be very difficult for me to do and uh, very intimidating. However, the set a strategy goal is when you take uh, take the larger whole and you break it down into more digestible parts. And I know we do that all the time in therapy. I just had never thought about it in this kind of context. So for example, if I was to run a marathon, uh, let's say a 5k, maybe the first thing that I would need to do is to chunk it out into smaller bits that are accomplishable. Like, okay, today I'm going to walk Ellie around the apartment complex twice. You know, if I usually do once, maybe I'll bump it up to twice or, you know, a lot of times when people are suffering from depression, you know, it can be, I'm going to get out of bed today. I might crawl right back in, but today I'm getting out of bed at least once. And so setting goals that are attainable. So that way there's this kind of reinforcement loop of, I set a goal and I achieved it. And I set a goal and I achieved it. Therefore kind of building up the self-efficacy of your ability to actually achieve things because you now have this long history of, of associations with setting a goal and achieving it and then building up over time to that larger goal. Didn't you do Couch to 5K or something like that? I started to do Couch to 5K and then I stopped when I was almost close to being done because it got so hot here that I uh, I couldn't run anymore. I have exercise-induced asthma. So when it's either humid or cold, it makes it twice as hard for me to breathe. It's like if you were to take a, a straw and breathe through that, that's what it's like when I run. So when it's humid or cold, I can't, I, I just physically cannot breathe, which then induces all the anxiety symptoms and panic symptoms that you would get from suffocation. And so it's really hard to get me to run. And But, so, yeah. but, the, but you use the app in that way. Like you must yes. have, if, if it was a 5K, it must have been around six or seven weeks that you used it, I'm guessing. Yeah, I was Maybe. in there for yeah. a long haul. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of disappointed that I stopped. But, you know, trying to frame it as a challenge mindset of, okay, well, maybe I need to find something else. It was cool while I did it, but unfortunately, spring in D.C. is not long enough, and neither is fall. So, But if you look at the app now, you'll still see those wins there. Right? Yes. And that's something that, that it was, it is motivating. It's you know? something and that I did. I couldn't do yeah. it. Yeah. I did Yeah, exactly. Before. And that's kind of proof that, oh, yeah, I could do that. You just like, and you could just start over. Yeah, which is, I mean, and and some of this stuff we'll we'll touch on the quest chapter too, because I'm I'm starting to like connect dots between the two. But, uh, <laughs> but is is there anything else that you that you marked up on uh, on the challenge yourself? Just the the stuff about the vagal tone was mm-hmm. super yeah. interesting because I'd never I don't think I'd ever heard that before, and yeah, when she talked about yeah. that at the at the live um, at the signing. I was like, what? Uh, and then I, I wrote it down. And uh, yeah, we don't have to talk about the vagal tone itself because I think it's a little complicated. But the the, the concepts behind it are, are very easy to understand. Like you don't need to go measure it, I don't think. No. I want to, though. No. I want to. We should go get our vagal tones measured. 
So if you haven't read the book, what it's referring to is, is it an, it's a nerve, I think. Mm-hmm. Bi- yeah. Biologically, it's a nerve that runs from basically the base of your skull and it innervates all down your spine and is super important for your body to communicate to the brain and for your brain to communicate with your body. And basically people who have a tough, resilient uh, vagal nerve are better able to was it, modulate their emotions and elicit positive feelings even under difficult circumstances. I think I got that right. <laughs> it's I, I don't think I could do it justice, but it's it's very, very interesting. The idea of the mind body connection uh it's very kind of eastern philosophy uh, third wave psychology as they call it, where you really getting across that you can't separate the two that your body is and your mind are are linked together, and you can't really you can't really separate them. And that's just really cool that, that science has actually confirmed that there is this incredibly strong predictive link between your emotional health and the way your body responds to different situations and the way you appraise different situations, or rather the way you think about different situations. Yeah. And and again, it gets really interesting. And, and she talks about how you can like get that measured and everything. But I think that the, the biggest takeaway is, um, yeah, the mind-body connection, but that that you can improve that, right? That you can improve your vagal tone, I think, is a cool thing. Yeah, just like a muscle. Just work yep. it out. Yep. yep. Uh, so that kind of sums up Chapter 5. Uh, chapter 6 is power-ups. Which That's my chapter. I was going to say, yeah, chapter. I think yeah. I know somebody who's super excited to talk about power-ups. <clears throat> yeah. It's, uh, so it's a gameful rule number two. Collect and activate power-ups. Good things that reliably make you feel happier, healthier, or stronger. Ah, oh, where to begin? Because like, I, 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 this chapter was everything I hoped it would be. So, what did what did you think about it? Well, like, was, what did you? What were your notes? Oh, I was going to ask you, what are your? Th- can you think of three power ups that you use? So, when you think of about a hostway power up, what is a hostway power up? So, I actually, and I use the term power ups all the time. I use it with my clients. I use it in conversation, and I have songs are um, probably my go to power up. So I'll feel a certain way, and then the songs change over time. But I always try to have a couple songs on my on my phone that are definitely power ups. Like they just make me feel something, and they can take me out of a rut. I can be feeling like really down or just uh, angry, sad, the pens, and I'll 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 just pick a song, and it just it's amazing the effect that it has on me. I also like to I used to like to go on a for a long drive. Mm-hmm. I can't do that anymore. Um, that was a good power up. Um, I like to sing. That's a huge power up for me. And uh, yeah, those are probably like top three that can really like make me feel good. And then and then I do I do play a lot of video games many times with that intention. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that was that was a big deal in the in the first four chapters, right? The idea of gaming for with a purpose. Right? And that's a big reason why I play certain video games. I play them because I as a power up, not just as a I need to get my mind off of something, but I do it because of the way it makes me feel. Yeah. And I'll and I'll do it um you know, like almost like a prescription. Like Oh, like yeah, like today was a tough day. Uh, I don't just want to. For, I don't want to forget about it. I want to do something. Um, it's gonna make me feel good for a little bit, and and I and I recognize how to do that in small chunks. Yeah, and what's interesting is one of my power ups is also to sing at the top of my lungs, mm-hmm. uh, specifically either "Let It Go" from Frozen 
or Defying Gravity from Wicked, usually in yep. my car. And I thought it was so interesting because during this one, they, uh, this chapter, they talked, or rather, she talked about how if you're singing, you have to sing at the top of your lungs because that's how you get the benefit. Just whispering along to a song doesn't give you the full range of, of emotional boost. So it's a, a, always amazing what how we kind of naturally gravitate to these things that do make us feel better. And then they get substantiated by science, which is always awesome. Contrast, she also says that you can hum a song for 60 seconds and it will help reduce inflammation. Yeah, something about opening up the nasal cavities or increasing yep. a chemical in the nasal cavity. Science. Science. So uh, Defying Gravity became a, a power-up for me recently. Yeah, welcome, brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good one. Or depending on the mood, no good deed goes unpunished. Sometimes you just got to belt that one out, too. Uh, so, yeah, singing, uh, singing loudly is usually yeah. a good thing. Uh, Ellie, my beagle, is... She is everything. You know, if I'm sad or upset, it's just, John just goes, Beagle, and just puts her in my lap. And I, I just can't. I cannot be sad <laughs> or unhappy or angry or anything. Uh, earlier today, Ellie just kind of walked up on the couch, sat down, and put her head in my lap. And I just, I wouldn't move. I had, I had to go to the bathroom, and I needed to cook dinner. I, but I wouldn't move. I was like, nope, Beagle. And it, she, <laughs> she makes everything better. Do you ever – so, like, we're talking like, – you just said it makes everything better. But do you ever use them in the context of – like, you would in a video game. Like, right at the beginning of the chapter, uh, Jane talks about how in Pac-Man you don't attack – you can't even attack the ghosts until you have a power-up. And then you're ready and then you can attack them, right? So do you ever use power-ups, like, pre-battle? to prepare for something or to, to be better to be better equipped like you would in a video game? Yeah, especially uh, I have a really big fear of needles, like injection needles. I, I am terrified. So if I've got a medical appointment coming up or something like that, I just do extra snuggle time with Ellie beforehand. I uh, Working with my doctor, she has me take out my phone and I look at pictures of Ellie while she gives me the shot or, or whatever procedure we're doing. And I look at videos of Ellie, you know, being adorable. And so, yeah, if, I've, if I'm trying to psych myself up for something, I will definitely preemptively use it as well as, you know, using it to, to boost myself up. And, uh, yeah, Ellie's, Ellie's amazing. She's, she's wonderful. <laughs> and I, I love her so, so much. And then there for the third one. So one thing that I've I found working in the esports arena of of games and tech is that people ha- sometimes have a lot of not not nice things to say, and people can be really cruel sometimes, and that'll make me angry and upset and all the all the feels. But what I've found, uh, and again, it's, it's played out in Super Butter, is if I take the energy I get from being angry or upset about something, and I'm able to turn it around into a positive. So for example. There was one day, several, several months back, where it was just, it was just a crappy day. The forums were exploding. People were screaming. It was not, it was not a good day to be uh, an esports moderator. And I, I was like, you know what? Let me try something. So I went on Twitter and I said, Hey, does anybody need, you know, like a, not a, not a hug, but I don't remember how I worded it. Does anybody need a pick me up today? And then so, People started sending me like, yeah, sure, I'll take one. And then I went online and I found pictures of adorable baby animals, like baby animal GIFs. And so every single person that pinged me, I sent them uh, an adorable GIF of some kind. 
And I felt a million times better because one, I'm looking at pictures of baby animals, which is a power up. And two, I'm doing something nice for somebody else. And that to me just shuts down any of the, the really harsh, negative kind of feelings that you can get working with the online gaming community sometimes. So, so this is, this is the chapter I remember the vagal tone stuff. And, um, what you just said is, is, it's like, I think surprising to a lot of people. And I remember when I figured this out, it must have been a couple of years ago. And it, it kind of blew my mind. The idea that you don't have to necessarily work directly on reducing the negative emotions that you were feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Like you felt like crap. They were making you feel horrible. And instead of just trying to do something to directly like, I feel angry, I want to feel less angry, right? I feel anxious, I want to reduce my anxiety. Instead, you started doing positive things and you started doing happy things. And so I, I think this is the biggest takeaway from the chapter, which is that the research shows that like – Trying to directly address the negative emotions just isn't as effective by a, by a long shot compared to just doing a lot of positive things. And you kind of – I like that analogy of uh, kind of like a fuel tank, right? Mm-hmm. Where you like – you just like – you need to refill, you know, all the positive stuff and then you're, you're, you're good to go. And it's like if you have a, a – it's like if you had two fuel tanks, right? A negative and a positive one. And as long as they're both in balance and there's a little bit more in the positive one – then you're good. Yeah, there was a – when I uh, used to work at pretrial services here in D.C., I uh, had a, a group that I used a lot with uh, – a substance abuse group with, with pretrial individuals. And one of the quotes we had in the room was uh, just kind of a, a very short story where an old man looked at a young man and said, you know, there are two wolves within us, one that is full of anger and one that is full of joy, and they fight. And then the little boy said, well, which one wins, grandfather? And the grandfather said, whichever one you feed. I was like, dude, deep. <laughs> but yeah, so the idea of power-ups, I think people have their comforts. So, you know, comfort food and things that we know make us feel better. But I think the challenging thing is sometimes that when you are feeling low or if you are feeling worried and about something coming up or you feel stuck, it can be really hard to remind yourself that these things exist to kind of remind yourself to rebalance things when the scales seem so tipped in, in one way or the other. Well, and, and like putting that into your daily routine, putting that into your daily activities. Again, it, you don't have to have a bad day to activate a power up. Like you could just include them in your days and your days will be better. And, and you can start the day off better that way. And you can end the day better off that way by having these power-ups and recognizing them as things that are good for you. And what's so interesting is that there's, there's a kind of almost a stigma in our society about doing something for yourself, whether it's self-care, which can be seen as selfish or egocentric, which it's not. I'm just going to say that. Taking care of yourself is very, very important. Or doing something because it makes you feel good. I think there there's a, a lot of, oh, well, you know, the gift of giving is its own reward and things like that, that you should just do it out of the kindness of your heart. And if you do something that is good for others because it makes you feel good, then it somehow isn't as valuable as if you did it selflessly. And I think that's a bunch of bull pucky because, you know, if it makes you feel good, then you're going to be able to do more good things for other people. And who cares if you're doing something good? 
and you're making yourself feel good and you're making somebody else feel good. How could that possibly be a bad thing? But, but a lot of those things are, are value judgments. And and really, as long as it makes you feel good, like if the best thing for you, like you gave an example of doing something good for other, another person, that makes you feel good. If you're doing something good for another person because you don't want to seem – like you were doing it for selfish reasons because <laughs> it made you feel good. But some people might do it for unselfish reasons and uh, – and and it doesn't make them feel good. Like whatever makes you feel good, whatever is a power up for you is a power up for you. There's a very – it's a very deliberate thing. And sometimes I think a lot of people – with my clients, I would help them figure out what their what their power ups were. And many times they wouldn't see them that way. And sometimes it was gaming. Sometimes it was music. Sometimes it was spending time with family. And, and then just – like they didn't think about – like I never really faced so much the idea like, oh, I'm being selfish if I want to do things for me. It was like they didn't see any other value to it other than it made me feel good. You know, like it, not that it could – it was actually maybe even improving my mental health or maybe, you know, making those connections of, oh, yeah, when I spend time with my family, like the next day at work doesn't seem as horrible or my pain isn't as bad because I did these things and I never put – two and two together and and once you start doing that i think i think it changes everything like for years you know i started doing um the power up thing and i talk about power ups and i say this is a power up this is a new power up for me um i'll tell my girlfriend like oh i found a new power up and she'll just laugh because she knows what i mean and and again that deliberate action can Take you again from better to super better. Like I, I love, I love the idea that it's not just the like the self. I like, I like the idea of not just self help, self improvement. Like you, you don't have to be in a, you don't have to be bad to get better to to improve. Yeah, no. yeah. So you can be in a positive state, and you just give yourself a little dopamine boost or a little, little uh, not cortisol. That's that's the wrong thing. Oxytocin. There we go. A little oxytocin boost with a hug or maintaining eye contact, and yeah. So just... Martin Seligman, Martin Seligman, the the like the the guy who who created positive psychology. He talked about how the one of the biggest problems back when he was APA president. Um, he said one of the biggest problems that psychology had at least. I don't know how much. I, I think it still has this problem, but it's that we. Talk about taking somebody from negative 10 to zero and then we leave them there. And there's so much good that we could do if we take them from zero to plus 10. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, a lot of treatment doesn't look at it that way. Treatment is like, all right, you're at zero. You're like, we got rid of the bad stuff. You're good to go. And and more and more research is showing. Like, why 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 stop there when the benefits are, are so good if you go beyond that? Well, especially for, you know, recovery or almost inoculation against sliding back into something, whether it's the first time or or a chronic condition. So, yeah. I yeah mean, but I don't know. Like, I don't know what your education was like uh, for your PsyD. If, if, but it's like it's not cost effective, right, to help people go like not just be good, but to get better. Like you just want to you want to fix the problem and then you move on to the next one and fix the problem. Like that's the that's kind of the mindset of of, of treatment. Yeah, I mean clinical psycho uh, clinical psychology is focused on kind of the the I don't want to say the disease model because that's a specific model, but the idea of psychopathology yeah, that we're we're yeah. problem focused. And yep. so it's more like fixing people as opposed to helping people reach their highest potential or 
or however you you would want to phrase that. But I think that's a great jumping off point into the the last chapter that we covered this week, which was quests. And I really no wait wait you skip bad guys. You skip oh, chapter I skip seven. Bad guys, skip bad guys. What are you I doing? I did. I did skip bad guys. Okay, so bad guys. Exactly what you think it is. Um, is identifying basically your your stumbling blocks, the things that you struggle with, the things that make you feel down, the things that take you from whether it's super better to less better or from good to eh or just from eh to crappy, uh, things that stop you from from achieving what you want to achieve. I, I can't remember what it was or who it was. I think it's some like – Asian philosopher from like a long time ago. I don't know. I don't remember. But the saying was something like, you can't kill it until you name it, right? Like you need to name your enemies before you can attack them. Like you need to know who you're fighting. And that concept is like so simple, but it's it's um, like we, we think of the big bads, right? The, the, the huge problems, but there's a lot of little ones too. And be, to be able to identify all those things as not just the big bad, but as the... As the grunts, not the just the... Yeah, yeah. I was going to use Halo analogies, um, <laughs> but I can't remember the other names other than like elites and grunts. Elites, and, uh, jackals, grunts, yeah, monitors, right? brutes. Right? Yeah. Like those are those are things that you can... Like once, it, once you name them, once you identify them and, and categorize them and do whatever you need to, but see them as something that, you know, obstacles that can be overcome. And I think there are a lot of things that we don't look at. Like, I, I don't know if you thought of any when you were reading the chapter. You know, things that, oh, yeah, like these these little things are not helping me. And maybe I can tackle a few of them. And that will make, again, my day better, my situation better. Yeah, I can't remember if it was in this chapter or the next one. But where it, it talked about, again, it's just another cognitive reappraisal, another reframing where – you know, beating yourself up doesn't help. So if, say, you are trying to eat healthier and you have a day where you do not eat healthier because of whatever reason, thinking about it is, okay, so I lost the battle today, but I can try again tomorrow. So the the idea of framing it in a gameful way is that in games we fail all the time. I I think she says 80%. Gamers spend 80% of their time failing. So that that seems like, okay, you know, I didn't beat Bowser this time around, but I'll just go back to my save point and I'll try again. And that's a completely okay and non-threatening thing to do. Like, you know, like that first time you, you, you fight Bowser in, in the first Mario, right? Like there's there's really two ways to, to get around them, right? Like you jump over him or you can run under him. And, and but like to figure those two things out, you need to try a few different things and and to go back and... Like you're starting to build a strategy because you see it as like there's something about the framing of 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 calling something or identifying something as a bad guy that makes it just implies like if if you're into gaming it just implies the idea that it's that it's defeatable you know that it's that it's something that you can knock down or that you can get rid of and lots of times we see things as insurmountable and impossible and, and we also, want to run away. It also helps us to take the negativity and externalize it. You know, so for example, you know, if someone has cancer, they say, I have cancer. They don't say, I am cancer. But if someone has depression, they say, I am 
depressed, not I have depression. So it's some kind of internalized as if there's some defect within you that you are responsible for, as opposed to kind of putting it outside of yourself. And so you can see yourself and the problem as separate things, that they, they are not inherently married together, which is also really powerful because if you see yourself, you know, you the person as worthless or broken or struggling, you know, then you can get into thoughts of, well, what's the point? I'm not worth it. I'm not worth taking care of. I'm not, you know, filling the negative automatic thought there. But if you put it outside yourself as, okay, you know, I am battling depression. I, you know, those kinds of ways are, are a little bit easier to, again, see it as something that is defeatable instead of defeating yourself. And the, and so a big part of that is like depression would be a big bad. It's It's hard to represent depression as a small minion right it's like it's a big it's like it, it's the final boss right or it's the the overarching like quest storyline right and then so so how can you identify smaller bad guys like maybe if you're depressed like you don't want to leave the house so then maybe like what is what is the bad guy is it is it getting dressed is it walking out the door you know is it that doorway and then you can start seeing something as like well this isn't going to cure my depression this is, may not be a big blow to depression itself not like uh conceptually at the moment but just now you have this one bad guy which is just getting dressed or that walking harkens, outside that harkens back to the challenge chapter when she talks about strategic thinking as one of the the third kind of option for tackling a problem is taking it and then breaking it down into smaller chunks so you know taking something that seems i'm going to beat depression and making a very specific realistic achievable goal such as today i will go outside even if it's just for a few seconds, today I will go outside, or today I will go grocery shopping, or today I will do five push-ups. You know, what whatever it is, some very small, very achievable goal to start again, making those connections between setting a goal and achieving it. Yeah, and, and game mechanics, right? So so maybe the the you need to identify what the bad guys are to then design a good strategy or quest afterwards, right? So then it could be specifically, right, like I'm going to do this three times or I'm going to do this twice. And one of the cool things about Super Better and, – and, and I'm curious if you feel like um, – because I feel like the book doesn't – I don't think that it's Super Better the game the book, even though it might be presented that way. Yeah, because somebody asked me like, oh, like is the whole book just about the game? I was like, not really. Like it takes all the concepts but it's not – it's not just going like play by play through the book. But one of the great things about about the the app is that every time you battle a bad guy, it asks you like did you win or did you like did you defeat it or not? And you get points, resilience points just by having battled it. And by framing it in that way, you now have just so many more opportunities to recognize that your effort matters and that and even on the app, like it, it shows you the science for everything. It's like, listen, just coming up against something and seeing it as a challenge, like once you defined it as a bad guy, then you confronted it. Now that's a challenge mindset, right? That's not a threat mindset. And and that alone, just going up against it, maybe, maybe you ate that ice cream, right? Maybe you got dressed, but you didn't go through the door, right? That's fine. You still battled it and you came back to report on it. And now, but you still see it as something that can be defeated. So good. Yeah. Oh, those bad guys. Okay. I'm really excited for quests. 
Yeah, go for it. So uh, I, I think the thing that stood out the most to me in this chapter in particular, I have it tabbed and highlighted, was finding... Well, hold on. Let me first read. Okay. Uh, How to be gameful rule number four. Seek out and complete quests. Simple daily sections... uh, Sorry, simple daily actions that help you reach your bigger goals. And the part that I scribbled all over was about uh, finding values for yourself because that's such an abstract thing to try and think about and to try and describe to people. what What are your values? But the... The quest that she has actually in the book, I found to be like really, really helpful. Um, like identifying the the values, like list marriage and parenting, and uh, aesthetics or environment, physical self, these things that are important to you, and then sets up the framework of I want to be someone who spends time and energy each day on my blank. So I totally picked Sierra. Uh, I picked my relationship with my husband because I love him, uh, and I want to spend you know time every single day with that. The other one would uh, two others that I picked because there was a room for three was recreation and fun because that is very important to me, and then physical self care because that's kind of what I've been trying to work on. So setting it up in that kind of frame really helped me going through the rest of the book um, to really zero in on you know because she challenges you to design a quest. And so knowing, again, like you mentioned, Josue, that I was able to kind of, it's not naming the bad guys, but it's kind of naming the treasure chests that I want to keep with me, I guess. I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's my inventory. I'm, I'm not quite sure the game analogy here. But these are Could things they be that are... power-ups? No? Well, they're not power-ups because they're not actions per se, but these are things that are important to me. And so by committing to doing things and doing actions and quests that are in line with these values are going to make me a happier person. Gotcha. So like, for example, one of them is like aesthetics and in quotes art and, you know, writing music, uh, writing music, reading things like that. And I like those things. But if my goal was, you know, I want to be someone who spends energy each and every day listening to classical music. Nah, for some people that's really cool. And that's, well, cool, but that's not something that I necessarily is at the top of my value list. But, you know, I want to be someone who spends time and energy every day having fun or or, or ha- being recreational or being with my partner or trying to make myself physically healthier, uh, you know, where there's diet and exercise, because then again, that goes back into the body and into the mind. And, you know, it just kind of, you start at one place and kind of, everything kind of falls in line. So... Yeah, for me that it was just that, that part was really really helpful, especially because I read uh, the other two quests, which are uh, these are quests twenty nine, thirty, and thirty one, and they're all different ways on defining your values. And I read the other two quests, and those did not help me at all. So I think it's a really good sign that she's coming at it from three different ways to try and help people address this concept that tends to be very, uh, very intangible, very abstract to to pin down but is absolutely crucial to designing your quest and making sure that you're pursuing a life that will give you the most joy because it's in line with what you value most. Um, I think we're, we're like, we're, we, we've woven together the things from the other chapters, like all, all coming together. Cause I think quest is like, it, it has a little bit of everything um, that we've talked about so far. And, and the, the part that I, that I uh, like, 
the biggest takeaway for me in a way was um, this idea of committed action, which we, which is what she calls it. And I think we, we've talked about that, right? Like being deliberate is, is the way I said it before. And, um, and just seeing things as, again, like seeing certain things as something that can help you, seeing other things as things that are um, – like you can you can achieve them or you can overcome them, and then um, just seeing like w- weaving all that together to create like this idea of a quest, right? So the, like the like the example of multiple bad guys, you know, and then that can be your quest can be to do X amount of this, right? And or maybe maybe like even the way you frame it, I don't know if you saw it this way, but like you know you could frame it as like just like Pac-Man, like he has his power pellet and then he can attack the ghost. Like all right, like here's my strategy. I'm gonna do this and then I can go do this and this and this, and and that's kind of my quest for today. And um, there's one part in the in the book that talks about uh, again the committed action, and she says that the three benefits of of taking committed action are hope, optimism, and self-efficacy. And you define self-efficacy before, and it's super important, right? That just that idea that I can actually do this. But I'm really glad that she brought up hope and 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 optimism because words people define them differently, you know, uh, or use them interchangeably. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've always um, said like like hope is dangerous. Like I've always seen it as something that's very dangerous. And the way she defined hope was just seeing the possibility of a positive outcome. It could right? happen. Yeah, yeah, like it could happen, right? And and so I'm okay with that. Like that's not how I usually see hope, but but I'm I'm good with that. And then I like then how she goes and defines optimism, which is not only um is it a possibility, but it's likely. Like I, I, I yeah, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. Like I can see the possibility of me doing that. Like, I don't just see the path to to that goal. I actually think I might be able to do it. And then self-efficacy is like, I can do it, right? Not, yes. may, not maybe. It's like, now I believe that I can do it. She does touch on the, like, on the, how you need to be careful with all these things. And that's where I'm always worried about hope. Like, some people go blindly into things. And she talks about blind optimism. But but overall, just having that committed action, like you slowly start building up to the self-efficacy. And I'm glad you brought up self-esteem too because uh, self-esteem is just what you value something. And, and that gets people in all sorts of trouble. But just like it's so good to be able to see the thing and then get to the point where you believe that you can do it. And that is a feeling – like I guess the differences between optimism and self-efficacy is just – even though you believe that you can do it, you may like you probably have no reason to believe it, maybe, right? But once you're at self-efficacy, you're like, wait a minute, yeah, I I, I believe it because I moved a little more. I'm uh, towards that goal, or I'm I farther from where I was before, and I'm stronger than I was before. And now it makes sense that you you're like you're working towards that goal, and 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 you could take it down. So now, did you did you craft a quest? I did, so I'm I'm curious if you did too. I don't. Was that was that one of the like was that a? Yeah, it's one of the uh, actually one of the quests in the quest chapter is to design your own quest. I don't remember because it's been a week since I read all this stuff. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> so for for my quest, I decided to kind of go off of at the end of chapter eight she really drives home the idea of you know your quest if you can should include the mental physical emotional and social aspects the the four domains that super better covers so i 
decided for my quest, what I would do is I would write down um, four things and or I would set four challenges for myself every day and, you know, try to do all four. But if I don't, that's, you know, it's okay. Um, so one is to do five push-ups every day because that's my, my, my physical challenge. Uh, Real push-ups or like knee push-ups? Well, okay, that's that's pretty judgmental. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going. That's to, a valid question. Well, I'm going to start with what I can do, though. <laughs> like, there's if I try to do you know standard push-ups and I can't do five, then that defeats the point of trying something new. You know, something that is it's if it's too difficult, it's just like the, it's that that flow channel again. If it's too difficult, you're going to quit. If you're bored, you're going to quit. If it's too easy, you quit. So you got to find that that right medium. So you know, for right now, it is the quote unquote girly, which I hate. Um, I didn't say that either. Uh, hey, girly hey. push-ups. But yeah, I mean, that's that's where I'm at right now. And the same okay. thing like when I did my couch to 5K. I walked for three minutes, jogged for one, walked for three minutes. So you start out and you, you build up. So that's the physical. The social I have in there is to say something or do something nice for somebody every single day. So whether that's, you know, giving a ride home, a friend a ride home from school or sending something, somebody uh, a nice message on Facebook or a tweet, something like that. Because again, that's one of my power-ups. That makes me, that makes me feel good. Uh, mental, uh, had, um, be mindful for at least one minute every day. So even if that's just taking a second and just stopping whatever I'm doing to just kind of check in with myself, then that's cool. And then the, the emotional one is kind of what ties it all together because I actually went out and bought a journal and a pen. And the last task is to write down all the good things or write down at least three good things that happened today. Uh, so that's, I started yesterday, so my journal is not, does not overfloweth quite yet. But, you know, these are very small things that I can do, and chances are I can probably uh, get away with them, even if it's like, oh crap, I'm going to bed in five minutes. These are all things that I could do in five minutes if I, if I needed to. So I'm interested to see how long I stick with it. I want to stick with it, I do. I'm, I think I'm optimistic. I'm not self efficate or a uh, self, uh, can't even name the word. Um, not not self esteem, not no. self efficacy. Is it efficacy? Yeah, self efficacy. What about it? Anyway, <laughs> not at that point yet. But I, I'm I'm optimistic. I'm beyond hope. I'm an optimistic. I think I can do it. So we'll we'll see what happens. So, as a game designer, do you think that your quest is good game design? Oh, that's a very loaded question. Yeah, well, because I... because just just hearing it as someone who's not a game designer, um, it sounds like the things aren't necessarily connected to each other, and I don't know um, if you've woven maybe some kind of narrative to it, or if, like they're all moving you towards a particular goal. Well, or I mean, they, if they, you were they're... just trying to meet the requirement. And those are the four domains of super better. So that kind mm-hmm. of was what ties them all together, and. That's kind of the point where I've gotten. I don't know if it's technically a game, what I'm doing right now. I think it's more of an activity. I don't think it rises to the level of game, but it is a it is a playful activity. And it's a, a small nudge in behavioral change. So, you know, there's science behind if you, you know, review the positive things that happen before you go to sleep, you usually sleep better. Or, you know, if you wake up and you have stuff on your mind, writing them down helps you go back to sleep because you're getting it out of your brain. And then if you do have a rough day, you know, forcing yourself to think about the positive things instead of ruminating on the negative is another good way to help kind of shift your mind to a more positive mental state. So, yeah, I don't design-wise, I think it's hitting on things that are important to me and it feels achievable, which I think is is the crux of 
where I'm at in my super better journey. Gotcha. And what about overall so far in the book? There's a lot of talk about game mechanics, about game design. Like, how do you feel? Like, are there things that are like, oh, like, this is so obvious or, oh, this is so good. Like, why didn't I think of this before? Or are there things that are like, yep, this, this is what I'm thinking about at school now? <laughs> it's it's really different, actually. The, I know the readings I'm doing for school have absolutely nothing to do with the kind of design issues that uh, Jane talks about in the book. Or at least if, they, if there are overlap, I haven't necessarily put two and two together because if I'm reading super better, I'm not in school mode. So I kind of differentiate between, uh, between the two, but the idea of choice, for example, you know, in game design, it's all about player choice. And that's kind of one of the, a really important asset of the game is that the player has to voluntarily opt into it. And so that's, you know, with my super better quest, I voluntarily did it. And in a game, you, you know, it's only a game if you volunteer. If you don't volunteer, then it's like uh, being impressed or <laughs> indentured servitude or something, uh, something you don't want to do. So it's not playful and it's not a game. So that's that's one part of it that is is through a lot of it. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good place for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I was just I was just curious because I think um maybe maybe next week we'll we'll be able to or maybe the week after that. Like we'll we'll be able to start looking at it from like making comparisons, right? Because I'm already seeing like to me story is really important, right? Like I can it can be the most fun game in the world, but um a story will really get me far if it's uh if if the game mechanics aren't all that great, et cetera. Okay. You know? Um so like, so I'm I'm very narrative uh driven. And I think the next few chapters have a lot to do with that, which is which is really cool. Well that's a good point. We actually just talked about the difference between cosplay, LARP ARGs and oh goodness, I'm forgetting one of them. Like in a class, you mean? Yeah. Well, well, we were discussing the difference, like LARP. You know, what's the difference between LARP and, and cosplay? Like you're both taking on characters, and it's usually with a large group of people. But you know, cosplay has very different goals than say a LARP does, and then and then an ARG does. And but it, it is the story that tends to. Um, like in LARP especially, it's the story that draws people to it. Uh, because if, a cosplay can just be I'm, I'm a guy dressed in a costume at a thing. Yeah, I mean, typically like, the <laughs> cosplayers tend to get into it, but well, it, I mean, it depends. You don't have to like that's not a requirement. And if you're no. LARPing, it's like we're there's a thing going on, you know. And alternative reality is like to the next next, next level of that. Yes, yeah, so you're you're yeah. subscribing to the fiction is kind of one of the social contract rules of a LARP, and that if you were to violate that, then you would be cast out of the magic circle and not allowed to LARP anymore. <laughs> but have you ever played an MMO? Any MMOs? Um, like World of Warcraft, for example. No, see, I'm not. I'm not an RPG mm. person. I don't like dealing with but, inventories. But <laughs> most MMOs, you have to have an inventory system, and you have to level up, and you have to grind. That is not my deal. Well, well, what I was going to get at is that, um, like, those are already role-playing games, but there are um, servers that, in addition to being, um, you know, an online world, there are role-playing servers where everybody who's playing is in character. So it's not like Josue and Kelly playing World of Warcraft. It's 
Kelly the um, Conqueror, you know, Beagle Herder, and you know, <laughs> say, like the Dragon Knight or something like that, and 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 like we're you know, speaking with our accents or whatever it is that we we want our characters to be, and you're always playing in character. So a lot of MMOs have that. Just curious if you talked about that in class. No, I don't think we touched on that. Yeah, but that's I mean, huge. that's like I've always been very curious to do that because uh, I've I can't I can't uh, I can't imagine. I can't even imagine it. Here we go. I know one thing that always strikes me when I'm in class and when I'm doing my readings and reading this book is the idea of role play. Because in psychology, that's a really big part of what we do when we work with clients is we ask them to everything from pretend to talk to somebody in a chair who isn't actually there, you know, as a form of role play. As students, you know, we had to role play different disorders so we could diagnose them or our professors did. You know, you ask clients to try on new new hats, you know, try doing this, try acting like that to maybe address some of the issues. And, and that's what Super Better asks you to do is you take on the role of, you know, Jane the Concussion Slayer, or I think I think my super better name is Beagle Baron, you know. So when I'm doing my super <laughs> well, better but stuff, that, but that is, comes is later, like right? Baron. Like, yeah, like like, but that's that's in two chapters. Like that that actually. Comes. Oh, I was thinking about the game because in the game, it's like the very first thing you do is choose your secret identity. Yes, yes, but that's like there's a whole chapter on that. Okay, well I'll hold off I may, on that. One. I may. That's that's a chapter where my story is, um, and so that's why like I'm ex- I'm excited to get to that point. And so, so there's a foreshadowing of uh, what's coming. And also, like, the next chapter is on allies. And fun fact, I only had one ally ever in the game, in Super Better. I went on the forums, and um, there was one person who I was an ally with. Fun fact, also a Super Better story in the book. Nice. Very, very crazy. Um, that I was reading, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, my one ally is here. And it was actually within these four chapters. It's pretty cool. All right. So now that we've dangled that delicious morsel in front of you for next week, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at PsychTechCast. And you can also find us on our homepage, which is PsychTechPodcast.com. Josue and I are both on Twitter, uh, Josue A. Cardona, and I'm at Kelly N. Dunlap. So you can find us there. Uh, Let us know what you think. And if you are following us along in the book club, uh, we're going into the last four chapters of the book for next week. So Spoiler alert or read ahead, I guess, is the, the best way to uh, to prepare for next week. And yeah, of course, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. And, and I will be at New York Comic Con this weekend. And I'm actually presenting uh, on heroism and bullying and stuff like that. So um, if you're at New York Comic Con, look me up at all those places that Kelly just mentioned. So Kelly, I'll see you next week. All right, have fun.